Hello, hello, Mediaverse members, and welcome to Mediaverse Unwrapped, where we bring our non-toxic Facebook community of Marvel fans to life. I'm your host, Max Taff, and I'm joined by the macaroni to my cheese, Megan Spangler. Hello, fellow nerd. On today's episode, we discuss how Tom Hiddleston feels about that Loki finale, trailers for Madam Web and What If Season 2, and so much more. Let's dive in. Let's do it. All right, guys. So a quick announcement Uh, for the holidays. Megan and I will be taking a brief break from podcasting to spend some much needed time with our families. We want to wish all of our amazing listeners a happy and healthy holiday season. Thank you so much for your ongoing support as we grow our podcast and make it even better for all of you. We will be back in January. So make sure you are subscribed for when that notification goes live and our new episode premieres. Yes. Keep an eye out for that. So Starting us off, Loki season two ending explained by Tom Hiddleston. After the Loki season two finale premiered on Disney Plus, Loki himself, Tom Hiddleston, shared his honest thoughts on Loki's sacrifice. Loki season two put Hiddleston's lead character in uncharted territory, taking on the new mantle as God Loki. Marvel utilized Loki's God of Stories persona from Marvel Comics as the former god of mischief left his new chosen family at the TVA behind. Embracing a life of solitude and making the biggest sacrifice of his life within the MCU, Loki star and executive producer Tom Hiddleston spoke with the YouTube channel Film Is Now about his character's sacrifice with Loki holding his multiverse together and taking over He Who Remains post. He says... Now that the season two of Loki has aired, I feel in the performing of it, in the planning of it, in the developing of it, in the writing of it, that Loki's sacrifice was very appropriate and for me personally, very moving. You've got a character who, for as long as he's been around, has been driven by self-interest, isolated largely by himself. On the surface, charismatic and charming and playful, but on the inside, defensive and vulnerable and hurt and alone and someone who's never felt like that, like that he belonged anywhere. Hiddleston took fans behind the curtain as he says, and so rather than live in the vulnerability of not belonging, he tries to fashion the world so it belongs to him. It's full of drive, and he's at the center of it, and I think the journey he goes on across season two is through his connection with Mobius, his connection with Sylvie. Mobius as a friend and a guide, Sylvie as a mirror that reflects and challenges him. And all of his other friends, B-15 and Casey and OB, and his experiences at the TVA, they have opened up his heart and mind to the possibility of trusting this character who could never be trusted, who's not worthy of being trusted. In the new season, Hiddleston's MCU anti-hero feels a sense of belonging while he takes a journey of humility and acceptance, referencing how he's moved on from being burdened with glorious purpose to a sense of selflessness and generosity and love, that he was entitled to it, that it was all about glory, but by the end he understands that the purpose is about selflessness and generosity and love, and that he has a purpose that can help others live. I just find it, it had a poetic resolution I found extremely satisfying and I hope the audience felt that too and that resonates with them. The Loki star concluded by looking at the real world and how people need to feel in charge of their lives 
and have the ability to rewrite their story. Hiddleston says, I think we can all connect to it. I think we all need to feel in charge of our own lives. We'd like to. We all understand, I hope, that we can rewrite the story, that we have the free will to make the choices, which add up to the picture of our lives. And that it's Loki that's asking those questions, to me, is fascinating. Playing off that, Marvel exec and producer Kevin Wright comments on the possibility of there being a season three. In a couple of recent interviews, Loki executive producer Kevin Wright gave a mixed update on the potential of Loki season three. He says, I'm going to say two things that probably conflict. We always treated this like this would be it. He continues, further than that, I would love to keep telling stories with this team, whether that's a Loki season three or something else. We'll see what Marvel needs from us and what, what they want us to do. But I think this is an awesome world. They're great characters. And if the right story is here for us, I think all of us would love to keep this going. I certainly would. In addition, Wright spoke to the Phase Zero podcast and confirmed that season two was treated as a closing of the book and they plan to finish the story. He says, I will say this. I said it and I know head writer Eric Martin kind of repeated it. We did treat this like the closing of a book. Season one, one chapter. Season two, another chapter. He says, but more so, I would love to continue the work with this team that made two seasons of the show. And I wonder if that, instead of it being a Loki season three, I would love to find a way, if this is our Breaking Bad, what's our Better Call Saul? Wouldn't it, I, I think it would be Sylvie. That would be the way to go. Ooh, that's a great idea. Sylvia is like yeah. the main character. So it's kind of yeah. like still about Loki, but just not really. Exactly. It would still be Loki season three, and we would just be getting Sylvie instead. I mean, I'm not a fan of her, but I will take whatever these people put out after that last season. It was amazing. Um, it was. And to be honest with you, it's interesting that you mentioned Sylvie, because a lot of his comments about like, oh, about Mobius and Sylvie, I personally felt that this season was a lot heavier on the Mobius-Loki side of things than yeah. the Sylvie-Loki type of thing. It kind of felt like the the romance they had formed between Sylvie and Loki kind of just like fizzled like and was never addressed again. Um, yeah. <laughs> and I know out there's a lot of people... There's a lot of people on social media who would love to see what they're calling the Lokius ship happen, which is a pairing between Loki and Mobius being a couple. <laughs> I, I I don't know. I mean, it's definitely an interesting thought. I could definitely see it. I feel like I feel like Mobius deserves some some good loving. So does Loki. I don't know. I mean, I I don't know. I don't know what to make of that. I feel like they definitely sidelined Sylvie's character a little bit this season. Like she was there and she was prominent, but I feel like her story wasn't as compelling as it was in season one. Um, but as far as a spinoff goes, especially someone centered around her, I feel like there's a ton of information, a ton of like good storylines they could pull from, from what they've already established that could really make a great spinoff show. I would be all down for that for sure. I think season two was focused on giving him the sense of a family and friends and season one, yeah, it was, there was that romance, but it was never super addressed. It was very much there, but no one ever came out and said it until Mobius. 
of all people, said, that's what happens when you fall in love with yourself. <laughs> so it was there. Oh, Mobius. I think the second season, it was more it was more than Loki's feelings about someone or he felt a sense of belonging. I think this was just all a part of a journey to get to be God Loki. He experienced the romance. He experienced the family, the love, and that's, that was his glorious purpose. He experienced it all. And now he is God Loki and he gets none of it, which is bullshit. I know. Uh I feel like as much as they yo-yo Loki around and, and as they have since the beginning of the MCU, they like yo-yo the fan base around too, because like <laughs> I've been seeing a lot of compelling arguments for like Loki and Mobius getting together and like the like lingering touches and like the, the like scoring playing in the background during certain scenes and things. It's, it's very interesting when you, when you look back at it with that mindset. Um, but I will tell you, the one thing I think this show got so, so right, amongst the many things, I really love Loki season one and season two, fantastic pieces of media, um, is just the character development. I mean, really taking this character established in the MCU films and the Avengers and Thor and those movies and really bringing his story to completely new territory while also like doing a great job of wrapping up his own character arcs and like his own emotional issues and make, and you know, it's true. He really has finally found his glorious purpose. I've said this in previous episodes. He's like the only one controlling the timeline and making sure that we're not getting invaded by Kangs. That's like what he's <laughs> doing right now. There's like nothing more important than that at the moment. I mean, I rewatched the finale a couple of days ago and I, I remember seeing that part where he, you know, he goes out into, you know, all that temporal radiation and he just like harnesses all the branches of the timeline with his magic. Like, and it's just such a powerful scene. It's so much growth for his character, him sacrificing himself so selflessly. And I kept thinking to myself, like, man, like what would Odin have said right now if he could see Loki and how far he's come? Like, what would Odin have said? What would Frigga have said? Like, I, I, I would love to, like, have some kind of follow-up and, like, somehow get to see those things. Because, I don't know, I just feel like I'm so excited for where his character is going. I know that um, Wright said that they, they, they wrapped everything up storyline-wise, but they did it so well to the point where, yeah, they did wrap it up in a nice little boat, but they still left us with enough that it, like the story will continue at some point. You know what I'm saying? Like It wasn't like a cliffhanger where you feel like, oh my God, like what's going to come next? But it gave us enough to know, okay, like we're definitely going to see Loki again at some point. We, we're definitely going to see like some kind of like follow up to him now being the God of stories and like sitting on this throne controlling the entire timeline. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So I'm really excited for where things go from here. Yeah, they definitely they didn't leave a huge cliffhanger, but they definitely let you guessing. Like, what's going to happen at that mm-hmm. meeting at the TVA that Mobius is not going to? What is Casey doing? Yes. What is he doing? They left a lot, a lot of room for each character. That every single one of them could have their own spinoff show with what they left us. Especially Sylvie, yeah. Mobius for sure. I want to know how long he stood there watching his kids. It was a weird choice, but who am I to judge? Yeah. <laughs> like, B-15, I want to see where they take her, because I feel like she got a lot of great coverage the second season, but I feel like there's so much more. Mm-hmm. There's, I, there's just such a depth to her. I like her. And yes. She, when she smiles, my heart smiles. She is the, It's just so pure, and I love her. And I don't Aww. know. 
she's so nice. <laughs> and like, let's bring Ob back because he killed it. Oh, I yeah. still don't trust. I still don't trust that bastard. <laughs> Damn Ob. You know, it's it's interesting. I'm, I'm glad you brought this up because I feel like. You know, one thing I'm seeing a lot in these Marvel shows is they have all this, you know, this big ensemble cast. Obviously, it can't just be the main character the whole time. They need, like, supporting characters to make the storylines interesting. And one thing I'm always concerned with is, you know, they never guarantee season twos for these shows. Like, you know, they never, I mean, the only one that we've gotten a guaranteed season two for has been Loki. Um, so shows like Moon Knight, Miss Marvel, um, She-Hulk, they, they establish all these new characters and it's like, okay, but where do they continue from here? Because like, let's say they decide, oh, we're not going to do a season two. We're just going to have, you know, sh- you know, She-Hulk be in a movie. It's like, okay, well, what happens to all her characters? Like what happens to all the TVA agents and all these people who we've become so invested in after two seasons? Like, I, I really think that a spinoff or a season three, really, they, they need it because especially with Hunter B-15. Like you said, she is such a great character, such a wonderful actress. Um, and they set her up for some pretty juicy storylines moving forward that can kind of go in a bunch of different directions, given like how we learn she's actually um, Verity Willis on The Sacred Time, and that's her character's name. And that's a, a big tie-in to the comics and to Loki. So I'm really interested to see how that plays out. And, you know, the big meeting, like you said, and, you know, Ravona Renslayer now trapped in the void and what happens to Miss Minutes? Like... Just so many questions, but I feel like they were. It was done in such a way that it, it really did feel like a complete story. It didn't feel like, even though we have these little tiny loose ends, it didn't. It doesn't. Didn't feel like it watching the episode. It felt like okay. This felt like a nice conclusion. So I don't know. I, I definitely think that we need more, though, for sure. <laughs> yeah, I agree. I I mean, I'll never say no. And I didn't even like season one, but now I do. It gave me a whole new appreciation. I didn't see this. I did not see this coming. They really bamboozled me here, but it's just me either. Because you really I, didn't like the first season. I didn't. It just I found it so boring. But it's nice to see how touched Tom Hiddleston is because it's it is more than a role for him to play as an actor. He's so intertwined mm-hmm. in the character of Loki. I I just like how deep he took it. He just uh, he can do no wrong. Hmm. He's so hot. He's he's such a great actor. Oh God, he's so fucking hot. Uh, <laughs> he's such a he's such a great actor, and like I feel like I'm just like waiting. Why is Hollywood sleeping on Tom Hiddleston so much? Because I mean, like he he really like I feel like he could get like a lot more roles. Like I feel like Tom Hiddleston needs to be like on his way to like an Oscar now. He's such a great actor. You can tell he truly like I've been saying this from the beginning. You can tell he truly loves his craft. He really invests himself into like the whole, like he, he's not one of these actors who just kind of shows up to just be pretty on screen, like read their lines and leave. He really loves getting into the characters and portraying someone different on screen. And, you know, he's always been like that throughout his career. You can see it and the projects he's taken. Um, I just, I feel like we need to get him some awards now. Like it's time. Like Tom Hiddleston <laughs> deserves them. Like I agree and I don't because Marvel is really, really great about getting underrated actors who deserve so much more than they're given. So mm-hmm. after they go into Marvel and they just knock it out of the park, because they always do, they become really, mm-hmm. really wanted and then overrated. Because I could say that about Robert Downey Jr., Chris Evans, <laughs> um, I would say Scarlett Johansson. They Scarlett Johansson, not really, but you know Chris Evans and Robert Downey Jr., they were... 
not appreciated as much as they should have been when they took on the roles. But now look at them. They, you see them in everything, especially Scarlett Johansson. They're everywhere. And I do think Marvel hmm. had a huge, huge deal to do with that. So that's what I wouldn't want for him is just to see him everywhere and we don't get as much Loki content because he's busy doing everything else. You know, I, I kind of see what you're saying. I, I don't know. I just, I really want to see him take on some some good roles. But I will be honest with you, my own personal prediction, and it pains me to say it, <laughs> I have a feeling that after, you know, Loki's kind of storyline truly concludes, like once, you know, the whole God of Stories thing is addressed and his whole timeline thing is addressed, I have a feeling that Tom will not be in the MCU past the um, multiverse saga. I have a feeling this is going to be his last, like his next couple of projects that he's going to be in are going to be his last ones. I don't think he'll continue on. He's been doing it for so long. And now that his character has been built up and has this great storyline and, and is, is rearing up for a great like conclusion and meet up in secret wars and King dynasty and all that. I, I just have a feeling that after that, we're not going to see Tom. I don't know. He made Oh, he made some kind of uh, remark about that. He said, I have at least twice in my life said goodbye. I've written to Marvel and been like, thank you so much. I've It's been like the role of a lifetime. And they've written notes back saying, come and see us anytime. So I think I'd be unwise at this mm. point to be conclusive about any of it. So yeah. I think... I think he doesn't want to give up Loki because he's so intertwined in it. But I do think he does respect the craft enough to not oversaturate Loki. Yeah, that's what I think it's coming. It's, it, I think I think if it would come to that, it would be from a place of not wanting to oversaturate, like beat a dead horse. Because, you know, I've seen time and time again, like shows or movies that like, you know, when, you, when you're watching like a franchise or a series and you're just kind of like, it should have stopped like two seasons ago. You know what I mean? Like they're just keep, like are really trying to squeeze every ounce of like money they can get out of it. <laughs> like Vampire Diaries comes to mind, for example. Um, a few other shows that you're just kind of like. I'm going to tag Fast and Furious. You're just kind of like, okay. Yeah. When I post this video on YouTube, I'm tagging that franchise because they need to know. Enough's enough. I know. It's just like <laughs> certain things where it's like, okay, like, God, like, let's like, let it end. You know what I mean? Like, and I, I don't want Loki to end by any means. Like, I love Loki. I love the character. I love the actor. And if they could come up with ways to keep it fresh for like the next 30 years and he's willing to do it, I'm all for it. But I'm just saying, it's been a long time. I don't know. It's just the kind of feeling I'm getting. I hope yeah, I'm wrong, be- but that's how I feel. Because, let's be honest, the quickest way to ruin any character is overdoing it. You know, there's, yeah. like you said, Vampire Diaries. Excellent, excellent show. But mm-hmm. it went on, like, two seasons too long. Grey's Anatomy, a great show. Yeah. Ten or fifteen seasons ago. You don't want to do it <laughs> so much that it's just over. It's we're done. We don't even if we get sick of seeing the character, we're not going to want to see the character. Exactly. And I think a lot of actors do understand that because well, my thing is I think the people who scream out, "Bring back Tony Stark, bring back Captain America." You're not letting the new faces of the MCU thrive because you're stuck in the past. Yeah. Let it move on. That was I agree. You got like four three or four phases of those people. 
let the rest move on and show you what they can do and don't write them off. Like today, I don't know how many mm -hmm. people I've seen say, bring back Steve Rogers, Falcon is not Cap, that all of this trash. Oh my God. You haven't seen what he can do as Captain America. Yeah. So kindly, ever so kindly, screw off. Let him speak. Let him cook. <laughs> like you're mad. At, you're mad because Tony Stark is gone. He had a perfect character arc, and you want to ruin that? Yeah. Take several. Take several seats from me, please. I'll give you one. And all of it's just like the only one it's I true. disagree with is Black Widow because she got yes. shafted. Like no funeral. Big time. Even even the Ant Man book didn't bring it up, but talked about Tony Stark dying. And I'm still mad. I know. I'm I'm still pissed about Natasha. I, I don't think it was fair at all. I feel like we barely got any any story with her. I mean, she was always this like side character. And then she got the movie. And while the movie to me wasn't bad, I feel like they could have done a lot better with it. Um, I mean, the best parts were like the, the great actors they brought in to play those extra characters like Red Guardian, played by David Harbour, Florence Pugh. I feel like storyline-wise, they could have done a lot better with it, but... My thing is about that movie, to me, it didn't feel like a tribute to Natasha Romanoff. It felt like an introduction yeah. to Yelena. It didn't feel, it, that felt like a Yelena movie, which I do, I love the character. I love the actress. There's no negative there. But you gave us a Black Widow movie after she died. This could have easily been a phase one mm -hmm. movie just so you could introduce Yelena. No one can tell me I'm wrong about that yeah. because that's what it was used for. And I think our girl Natasha totally deserves agree. more than that. And I hope Natasha is haunting everyone in the MCU. <laughs> I hope so too. <laughs> All right. So moving on. The exciting, finally, oh, wait, wait, hold on. Moving on, finally, Sony released a Madam Web trailer for our viewing delight. And I must say, I did not hate it, actually. Like, to me, it looks pretty decent. So, talking a little bit about this trailer, Dakota Johnson takes on the role of Cassandra Webb, a clairvoyant superhero in Sony's upcoming Marvel movie, Madam Web. And she's bringing a whole new level of power and mystique to this iconic comic book character. The fact that it's set to release on Valentine's Day makes it even more special. The first trailer for the film has been released and it offers a fresh look at Madame Webb showcasing a younger, more dynamic version than what we've seen from her in the comics. She's not just a mentor this time, she's right in the thick of the action. The fact that they're giving her an entirely new origin story only showcases that Sony is all in on expanding their Spider-Man universe. And with Madam Web as a starting point, we're in for a wild ride. <laughs> Dakota Johnson isn't the only star shining in this project. The cast is packed with talent. Sydney Sweeney as the second Spider-Woman, Julia Carpenter, is a brilliant choice. She's bound to bring her own unique flair to the role. And with Isabella Mer Merced, Celeste O'Connor and Emma Roberts rounding out the cast. This film is set to be a powerhouse of female-led superhero action. Not to mention the rest of the stellar cast, including Tahar Rahim, Mike Epps, Adam Scott, and Zosia Mamet. But let's discuss who we see in the trailer. 
So first up, Julia Carpenter. Julia Carpenter is known as the second Spider-Woman after Jessica Drew. She was created by Jim Shooter and Matt Mike Zeck and first appeared in Secret Wars number 6 in 1984. She later becomes Arachne and even later the second Madam Web after Cassandra Webb. In the comics, Carpenter is a college student who gets selected for an experimental or for an experiment disguised as an athletic study. After the experimental procedure involving a mix of spider venom and exotic plants, Julia gains spider-like abilities. Not long after, she teams up with Spider-Man and other Marvel heroes during the Secret Wars event and later on battles various villains like Absorbing Man and Doctor Doom, who kills and resurrects her with the Beyonder's powers. She then continues her heroics solo or as a West Coast Avengers and Force Works member. So a lot of good stuff stuff. about this character. I'm really excited to see how it goes. Same. Moving on to Maddie Franklin. Maddie Franklin is the third character to assume the Spider-Woman alias. She was created by John Byrne and Raphael Kayanon and first appeared in Marvel Comics via Spectacular Spider-Man number 262 in 1998. In the comics, Franklin is a troubled youth who grows up with her wealthy father, Jerry. Franklin soon overhears a phone call between her father and Norman Osborn about the gathering of five and eventually takes part in it, receiving spider powers. She then becomes Spider-Woman and dons an identical costume to Spider-Man after the latter temporarily retires and continues her heroics even after he comes out of retirement. Hmm. Interesting. I like it. Mm-hmm. Me too. And third up on our roster of amazing Spider-Women to appear in the movie. Anya Corazon. Anya Corazon in the comics is known as Spider-Girl and Aranya. She was created by Joe Quesada and Fiona Avery and first appeared in Amazing Fantasy number one in 2004. In the comics, Anya receives her powers after being imbued with spider-related blood and magic by Miguel Lagar after he bonds with her following a near-death experience. Anya then becomes a superhero wherein she initially partners with Miguel and later on joins forces with other heroes like Spider-Man and the Champions. Hmm. A lot of interesting stuff they're bringing into this movie, and I'm I'm really excited. But what did you think about the trailer, Megan? Uh, whew, I did not have very positive thoughts. The acting wasn't <laughs> great. Um, I I don't know. I have a weird thing about when they have super attractive girls, but kind of put glasses on them and said, "Oh, look, she's ugly now." And that that's always a pet peeve of mine. <laughs> so. That always mm-hmm. irritates me. Um, I agree. It's looks it looks like a good story, and they're very very compelling characters. And Spider Man is my one and only. So I want to be excited, <laughs> but it's a Sony Spider Verse movie that has nothing to do with Spider Man, and I've been burned before, mm-hmm. and I'm worried. <laughs> so it's it's hard to get excited. I'm cautiously optimistic about it. It could be really good, but I, I don't know. They, it felt like the trailer was put out way too early or they weren't done with it. They didn't have movie posters done. We still have yet to see them. It's been two weeks. We don't have a date. We don't mm-hmm. have any of that. And then they gave us this trailer that didn't feel exciting to me. So it's, I don't know. It's starting to already feel rushed. I feel like the trailer 
was structured like very interestingly because I feel like they didn't really give us like a ton of this like what the movie's gonna be about and how like anything connects to anything or like any sort of like indication as to where the plot's gonna go. I mean, it just kind of is like okay, Madam Web Dakota Johnson is saving these girls from this like creeper who's trying to kill them and she kind of gets psychic visions and she's a paramedic i mean that's kind of like the gist of it i mean i don't know i i feel like in a weird way i've grown fond of the sony spider-verse films because like they've become like the underdogs that just keep on trying they just keep keep (laughs) hanging on to those rights sony (laughs) i get it (laughs) I, i don't know i mean I I kind of just watch them for the Marvel content and just try not to take them like too too seriously anymore, especially after Morbius. Um, <laughs> I I don't know. I, I I feel like it looks interesting enough for me to want to see it. Like I'm definitely intrigued by the storyline. I'm definitely intrigued. Like I loved the shots that we got of the of the women in their costumes. Like when we like I I will say. I agree with you on the glasses thing. I do find that really annoying when uh, they use that as a storytelling um, device. Like, oh, she's like this. Yeah. She's like this gorgeous bombshell, and they just put glasses on her, and she's like all gross. Like, no, it doesn't make any sense. It's bullshit. Yeah, um, it's just annoying. But I, yeah, but I will say, I thought Sydney Sweeney, like in the little glimpse we got of her in the full Spider Woman costume, looked hot. She looked amazing. It was, and I love oh. the comic accurate costumes that yeah. are actually really well done. That's mm-hmm. great. Um, I'm really excited to see how, like, what any of this means because it's like, where are these spider women all coming from? Like, how does she know about them? Like, it's just like, I, there's so many interesting stories, like, interesting questions they're proposing with this trailer. Um, but I will say, I've been excited for Madam Web since it was announced, and I can't wait. Uh, I know I'm getting ahead of myself, but, and, you know, spoiler alert, in case you don't want to know, but, um, there have been some rumors and some leaks that are not confirmed about what the actual plot of the film is going to be um having to does sort of tie into peter parker spider-man um from like a past into the future kind of context um and i selfishly would love to see a cameo of like tom holland or something like uh, she has a vision of him something I, i would love to just see that that's and i always say this with every sony spider-verse film i just want those connective tissues i have a feeling we're going to start finally getting them um, and this movie might be like the starting point, um, but we're going to start really seeing things kind of connect, but I don't know, again, I'm not going to get my hopes up on that. Cause I got my hopes up with Morbius and we got whatever the fuck that was at the end. Um, <laughs> but I don't know. And, and to be frankly honest with you, if they are going with like, a, the, the way the rumors are saying where it's going to be about like, you know, trying to save Peter Parker as a baby or something or his mom or whatever, like from what I've been reading, if they don't bring back Marissa Tomei as Aunt May in this film, I will boycott. I will be so mad because she deserves like a cameo. She deserves to be Ben Parker's wife at least once on screen. Like I just, I, I would love to see her. I think she's fantastic. And I really hope that we do get like a little glimpse of her as well. Well, I saw different rumors that said um, whoever Adam Scott is in the movie, one rumor said that's Uncle Ben. And then the other one said yeah. they're related to Uncle Ben. And how do you people have rumors already when we don't even have a date? It's in the theater. Everyone just just shut up. I, I don't believe I anyone anymore. <laughs> it, it, they're just, they're such good characters. And even like all of them aside, I love Adam Scott so much. And yeah, I he's plan great. on watching it. Even if it sucks, I'm going to see it for him because he's wonderful. But I mean, exactly, I exactly. 
like I still have hope. Like with for Craven, I have a lot of hope for that. I mean, even if it sucks, same. You're you're still getting the main character without a shirt. I mean, let's be grateful. Oh yeah, that's <laughs> <laughs> that's like ooh, that's that'll be the consolation prize if the movie sucks. To be honest with yeah. you, <laughs> like at least yeah. we have that. <laughs> and then Venom three. If you guys can just do better than Venom two, we're on the right track here because yes. Venom two was rough and no offense to anyone that liked it just like morbius if you like morbius i am happy for you but i did not and i took it offensively so to our <laughs> listeners to our listeners jimmy this is for you morbius i'm happy you love it venom venom 3 <laughs> they're already filming so they've had plenty of time if they want to fix anything during the strikes they had time to do it i'm really curious how the strikes have changed anything for venom 3 yeah i agree i'm i'm trying i'm hoping that they learn from the mistakes of morbius and they're trying harder now and i hope that you know i feel like a lot of the problem with morbius was that constant reshoots and like restructuring of that movie it just got so lost in the post-production and, and away from the original intent behind it um, I feel like I don't know. Morbius was okay. I mean, that the the worst part of the film for me was that post credit scene. That was really the worst part. And I've talked about this before. Um, Venom, Venom to me just felt so. And the funny thing is, in contrast to Morbius, I felt like the, one of the best scenes of Venom two was the post credit scene when they like kind of started connecting it to the MCU yeah. um, and showed Tom Holland Spider Man in the post credits. Um, I just felt like the whole movie of Venom two was just so rushed. And like so choppy and like i feel like they just needed more time to let the story breathe and it would have been yeah. okay but i don't know they made some really interesting decisions during that i, they, I didn't hate it didn't like it's not like my top either they put so much in that movie that could have easily been gone to another movie and they just shoved it in there yeah. and didn't even care venom one that's one of my favorite movies i love the first venom i love tom hardy looking a like one. a chaos a chaotic mess for two hours. I enjoy it so much. I think he does really, really well. Same. Um, I feel like I'm forgetting one of their movies. Obviously not across the Spider-Verse or any of those movies, because those are just golden. No one can yeah. tell me otherwise. No those one can gold. tell me otherwise. Those are just incredible movies. But it's wild to me that the same company can make those movies and then than this like you it's like they have respect for spider-man <laughs> but then they don't they don't have any respect for spider-man or his characters i i don't get it i, I don't understand yeah. it i'll never get it but i just want to have a talk with sony because I, none of this makes sense i know if if madam webb and craven do like really badly like morbius level bad i'm seriously gonna start a petition to just like have them lease the characters back to marvel like and just have them make the movies because like come on guys like stop destroying this franchise like i mean i get it they're they're kind of like scraping the barrel with some of these characters and like redesigning their origins in order to give them like enough room to stand on their own for their own solo films um but it's like god just like like at the, at the end of the day like if these movies suck it's like just stop please like just let the let's like release the characters back like like you know have marvel pay to to like be able to use them in their films like i don't know just just stop please just stop but i i'm i'm i will say i'm feeling optimistic about craven and madam webb 
and Venom 3. I'm crossing my fingers. I've been hearing a lot of rumors from these leakers that we only take with a grain of salt, obviously, that that Sony is all in on making this connect with the MCU, which I'm hoping will end up being a really good thing. And and let's see. We'll, we'll be covering it either way, so just kind of stay tuned for that, guys. We'll be along for the ride. Yeah, we're all in this together, so... <laughs> we're all here to support each other. Yeah. <laughs> Moving on to What If. So we all saw the trailer for What If Season 2 that released. It was a wild trailer. It very, very compelling trailer. I don't know how many times I have watched it. So things have gotten a little twisted in the multiverse. Jeffrey writes. The Watcher tells us in the first trailer for What If Season 2. On the evidence, he couldn't be more right. The remix of the classic Marvel Studios adventures, characters, and scenarios is back and serving up the weirdest, wildest side to the MCU yet. Among the What If mix-ups this time around are a young Peter Quill going face-to-face with an older incarnation of the Avengers, Hela's return a different take on Scarlet Witch and what could only be described as a Mad Max style race involving Iron Man, the Grandmaster, Korg, and Valkyrie. And one, Earth's Mightiest Heroes, even go jousting in 1602. And yes, our favorite Mad Titan Thanos makes an appearance. It's not all fun, frenetic reimaginings of classic MCU fare, however. Strange Supreme, who saved the multiverse in the first season, is seemingly back. The Watcher says he doesn't do sequels normally. So what has brought him back for the pair for a second peek around the infinite amount of universes? We dread to think. What if season two also Mm -hmm. introduces a new superhero, Cohorti, whose episode revolves around what if the Tesseract fell to Earth and landed in the Sovereign... Haudenosaunee Confederacy before the colonization of America. Beginning December 22nd, What If Season 2 will consist of nine episodes, with Disney Plus releasing a new episode every day into the leading up to the new year. That's a really wild way to do it. I'm really excited. Like a new yeah. episode a day. I, I thought that was creative. I did too. It's It's so different. I like that they did it. It's it's very what if vibe. Yeah, kind of it. Ooh, that's true. I'm really excited because I, I kind of like the lead up, the daily. It's going to be a fun week where you're like tuning in every day to like see what's up. And they picked a good time because all the kids are going to be off from um, for, for winter break. Um, it's it's going to be really exciting to see all that. And I think it's, it, it's smart marketing too. Um, I'm so excited for what if season two. Um I mean, I, th- I think it's important to note that we're going to finally get to see the Lost Season 1 episode. Um, for those of you who don't know, there was an episode that was supposed to be in Season 1 that they weren't finished with yet, so they couldn't air it. And that's why a lot of people are confused with the Season 1 finale, because there's an episode where Tony Stark crashes on Sakaar and teams up with Gamora, and that was supposed to lead up into the What If Season 1 finale, because all of a sudden Tony Stark and Gamora show up and we're like, uh, what's going on? Where'd you guys come from? <laughs> um, but we're finally going to get to see that. So that's interesting that they're, they're finally including. That's why it's nine episodes instead of eight. Um, 
And I think this is really exciting. Uh, I just, I'm wondering if like the episodes are going to remain unchanged since like chronologically that episode takes place in season one or how they're going to like address that. But I don't know. We'll see. But um, one thing I'm really excited about and one thing that I really love about Disney Plus shows in general, and especially What If, is just like the amount of extra characterization we're going to get for some of these characters, especially for characters that we only got to see for very limited times. Um, like, for example, in the trailer, you see like glimpses of Shang-Chi's mom, Hela, Peggy, uh, Goliath from Ant-Man, uh, Wendy Lawson, uh, who is Marvel, the original uh, Carol Danvers' mentor in Captain Marvel. These characters that didn't get a lot of sort of, like screen time, who are now kind of going to get like their their little day in the sun, which I'm really excited about. I love that whole aspect of what if for sure. Um, I don't know. I feel like it's going to give us like much needed context and background without seeming clunky and having to go back and re- readdress things like from characters who maybe have died and stuff um, and oversaturating the MCU. Uh, I will say I'm predicting that Hela, given her storyline in What If, where she's going to be like finding the Ten Rings and they're going to be kind of doing like a Thor Shang-Chi mashup. I, I, I'm predicting that she's going to give us some more insight on the Twelve Rings, where they come from, and maybe even the connections to the bangle, Kamala Khan's bangle from Miss Marvel that a lot of people, including myself, have theorized are connected. So I'm, I'm really excited about that. And I, I, I just can't wait to see if like they come from some alternate dimension or whatever. Maybe there's some kind of, I don't know, connection that we're not, that we haven't been able to see that's going to be introduced in what if, and that is like chef's kiss. As soon as I saw the trailer, I, you were at work. So I was like, oh, he doesn't know yet. Oh my God. Cause you're like, you love what if it, it's so funny to me, I do. but like, yeah. And I was like, ah, oh, he needs to see it. So I was really excited when you watched it. Oh, <laughs> I'm so ready for it. I'm so ready. And then they also teased like a Nebula episode. Oh my God. I've been wanting more backstory on Nebula since guardians one. Nebula is like one of my all time favorite guardians characters. And I, we know nothing about her. We don't know what planet she's from. We don't know. Like, like, they go all in on Gamora's backstory and Thanos, but we like know nothing about Nebula. So I think this will be really interesting, especially because the episode is about like, what if Nebula joins the Nova Corps instead of, I guess, Thanos. So it's like a good version of her. So let's see. Yeah. Yeah. They really don't give you anything about Nebula. Oh, I never, nothing. I never noticed. I never noticed that until now. <laughs> Like I, I never even, I, I don't even know what species she is. Like I, I for a no, long time I assumed it. she was Cree, but then I read somewhere that she's not. Yeah, I, I don't know why. I just assumed she was just there when Thanos got Gamora. She's just always been there. So I, I don't. <laughs> she's just, she's just always been there. Yeah, she's just like the decor. She just came with it. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well i'm really excited for this and our first episode back from our hiatus will be our thoughts and reviews on what if season two so that will be our banger of an episode starting us off for the new year um so we are so excited we are planning to break it down episode by episode and discuss the potential implications on the greater mcu multiverse and we are so excited we are excited yes coming back very strong from a hiatus yes it is our time for tea time with max and megan i'll start us off 
with the WandaVision Steelbook featurette giving us a first look at Agatha. Well, for before her show. Marvel Studios released a 14-second deleted scene from Episode 9 of WandaVision featuring Katherine Hahn's Agatha Harkness. The sequence pushes in on the aftermath of the final battle from WandaVision's finale, with FBI agents making their rounds in Westview to find out what happened. When an EMT asks Agatha if she's injured, she sips some apple juice and throws back a perfect sitcom-style quip saying, No, I'm not handsome, but I could always use some mouth-to-mouth. And the laugh track ensues. <laughs> and this is why we love her. I... God, I love her so much. Because, like, I feel like... I don't know. I feel like... It's just so her, and it's so beautiful and brilliant. Yeah. Like, I just could never imagine myself saying that to an EMT, but now I kind of want to. Just be like, mm, I don't know, handsome, could always use some mouth-to-mouth. Like, I just, so brilliant. Just kudos to that. And that feature at, oh so, my god. Talk about giving us a first look, gave me a heart attack. I'm so excited to see it. <laughs> it's just so, so excited. Brand. So, I'm so excited. It's going to be so good. Oh my god! I mean, the things that I'm seeing online from the people who are breaking down this featurette and and showing like all these little snippets from it's the first look at um, the Agatha show. By the way, if you guys haven't seen it, it's online. It hasn't been officially released yet, but you're, there's like bootleg copies out there, which we don't condone, but you know they're out there. We can't help but see it while we're scrolling. Um, <laughs> just finally getting to see, like, oh my god! Like they gave us looks at the witch's road. There's people theorizing that they're not wearing shoes in certain scenes because. Um, they took their shoes off out of respect for the witch's road. And then they're showing Joe Locke and they're showing Patty Lupone's character and they're showing Aubrey Plaza. And we're getting, finally getting something from Agatha, which I'm so excited for. Um, there is some really interesting scenes where we see um, Agatha back in her WandaVision outfits for certain things. So I'm interested to see how that all connects and there's corpses and all kinds of craziness. So I just, I can't wait. I am so excited for it same it's the halloween vibes i was craving so much last month oh yeah Yeah. next october is going to be lit for agatha yes yes it will all right so moving on the marvel's producer discusses binary being in that wild post-credit scene mary lovano's confirmed lashana lynch's binary in the movie's post-credit scene takes cues from a story in Chris Claremont and Dave Cockrum's long run on Uncanny X-Men. Levanos told EW, having Monica Rambeau waking up in a different universe be the connection to the X-Men for the MCU was something she always had on her to-do list. She explained she loves when Carol Danvers, with the superhero named Binary, spends some time with the X-Men in space, referring to a story arc from Claremont and Cockrum's comic run. So the notion that Monica ends up in an alternate universe with the hope that it could tie in with the X-Men was something I always had on my to-do list. I love how in the comics, Carol Danvers has binary spend some time with the X-Men in space. And I love the idea that in an alternate universe, it was Maria who beat Carol Danvers to the hangar back during the events of Captain Marvel. So she won and got those powers. That was something that was always really intriguing, she says. Again, in Kelly Sue DeConnick's run of Captain Marvel, there's an incredible storyline where Carol essentially time travels and gives herself powers in the past rather than the male Captain Marvel. Oh, that was always a really mind-bending, beautiful storyline that we wanted to bring to life in some way. So we tried to capture that spirit with this. And of course, it harkens back to their conversation on the porch when Carol goes to visit Maria. 
Levano said that she was glad the likes of Kevin Feige were stoked about the idea of binary, adding that she was also floored and delighted with the addition of Beast, along with a big old X right behind binary, she says. But I'm so delighted that Kevin Feige and folks were stoked about the idea of binary and the fact that she does fit into the X-Men universe. As a fan, I was just absolutely floored and delighted that we got to get Beast in there and have a big old X right behind binary. It was bananas. I love when comic nerds are involved with comic movies. As it should be. As it should As be. As it should be. I love it too. It makes things so much better. Yes. And that's a wrap on Mediaverse Unwrapped. Thank you so much for tuning in. From the entire Mediaverse Unwrapped team, we want to wish you all a happy holiday season and a fantastic new year. From the bottom of our hearts, we want to thank each and every one of our listeners who helped make our first year of podcasting an absolute success. So thank you so much, guys. Yes, thank you guys for the support. It truly means so much to us. We will see you all in 2024, and we will hit the ground running. Yes. So until next time, or I guess next year, you can follow me everywhere at his name is Max. And you can follow me on Twitter at Megan the Gangster. Join our non-toxic Facebook group, Mediaverse Comics Unwrapped. Follow our public Facebook page, Mediaverse Plus. Follow us on all of our socials at Mediaverse CU. Our new episodes will be airing Tuesdays after the new year. Thanks for tuning in and goodbye for now. See you next year. <laughs> I got it. It's a joke. <laughs> <laughs>